Thank you, Pastor Parker. Thank you for all the wonderful music today. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of First Peter. The book of First Peter, chapter number two this morning. First Peter, chapter number two. Today I'm going to speak just uh, this week on uh, one, uh, one message, uh, and then we'll start a new series next week. But today I want to speak to you on the subject of our identity in Christ, our identity in Christ. And uh, really, uh, this is a catalyst message for uh, what we are headed for in the upcoming weeks as we launch next Sunday, Reach. And uh, of course, we have our banquet next Sunday night, and, and uh, we're really excited about what God is going to do uh, in the life of our church as uh, we have focused for the past year on the inward, and uh, now it's time to get busy on the outward, amen? And uh, moving uh, our church uh, uh, from an inward church that, that we've dealt with many things and now moving uh, into our community and uh, sharing Jesus Christ with people. But the honest truth is, is until you have an identity with Christ, you certainly cannot share Christ. Until you can identify with who he is, and, and that goes uh, beyond salvation. Uh, that goes into your everyday life. That goes into uh, your testimony. It goes into who you are. And so, even though this morning we may focus for a few minutes on salvation, uh, um, the, the, the bulk of our message today is, as I knew that, that those that would be in our services today would uh, uh, mostly be our church home and, and uh, uh, people that are, are, have, a, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's something more than having a relationship than to be able to identify with him. Yesterday, uh, uh, many of you sat around a television and you watched your favorite co- uh, football team. And uh, you probably wore some type of apparel that had uh, your team on it. And you may have even been out and about before the game. And, and people may have walked up to you and said, you are this fan or you are that fan. And you were identifying with a college football uh, uh, team. And uh, you know what? That's great. But the truth is, is that in a few months, come January, uh, when the national championship comes and there's a a victor crown, uh, your identity with them is going to slow down a little bit because football season will be over and we'll all be in a state of depression. But the truth of the matter is, is that is going to come to an end. Your identity with Christ is something that began at salvation and should never end until someone is standing over you at a funeral. And so it's important that today, as we begin to catalyst into the next few weeks, is that we figure out in our lives and determine in our lives that we are going to, on a daily basis, not on a Sunday basis, not on a Wednesday basis, but on a daily basis, that we are going to identify with Christ. It is so very important that we have that identity. And uh, so First Peter chapter number 2 this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you'll stand with me, and uh, we're going to read together First Peter uh, chapter number 2, starting in verse number 9. First Peter chapter number 2, starting in verse number 9. The Bible says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse number 10, which in times past 
were not a people, but are now the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dear, dearly beloved, the Bible says in verse number 11, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works, which they shall behold and glorify God in the day of visitation. Would you bow with me as we say our prayer? This morning, I want us to pray and ask the Lord to open up our hearts and to open up our minds and to put anything aside, put anything that may have you brought in with you this morning as a weight of this world, and really put it aside and allow God to speak to you in such a way that you can realize that you need to identify in a great way with Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'll bless the few moments that we have together today. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to understand who we are as Christians and identify ourselves as a Christian, not only in this place, but also out in this world where people are lost and they're dying and they're going to hell because people are not identifying outwardly what has happened inwardly within them. So God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, but I pray that it would be different today because of the word of God. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes on the back of your bullets and there's an outline, first of all, number one, our position. Our position. Where are we uh, on this idea of identifying with Christ? Where is our position? The, uh, the truth of the matter is, is we are not righteous because we do righteous things. We are righteous because of Christ. Uh, The position of righteousness is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to me today, church. If you're trying to be righteous on your own, you will fail. Because righteousness is not found within us. Righteousness is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. If I'm going to live a life that identifies with Christ, if I'm going to live a life of righteousness, then I have to decide right now, at this very moment, that I'm no longer going to rely upon my knowledge or or my background or the things that I've learned, but rather I'm going to rely completely and totally upon Jesus Christ which is where my righteousness not only originated from, but is found in and continues in because it's only in the person of Jesus Christ that I can be righteous. If I try to do it myself, I promise you, I will be defeated every single time. But if I decide that that I'm going to rely completely on Jesus Christ, I can be successful. Letter A, we are privileged. Verse number 9 tells us that we are a privileged Uh, uh, people. The Bible says, but ye are a chosen generation. You are a chosen generation. Can I tell you that if you're a Christian today, that you've been adopted into the family of God with all the benefits. You've been adopted into the family of God with all the benefits. Family members always have privileges that guests know nothing about. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? You ever invited somebody over to your house and they come over and they're having dinner with you and all of a sudden uh, they say, hey, I need to go to the restroom. And you're like, great, there's one right down the hallway. You don't invite them to the one in your bedroom. That's only for family, right? There are privileges that family members have that guests do not have. 
Can I tell you that as a Christian, I am in the family of God. And because I'm in the family of God, every benefit that God has, I have. I mean, everything that God has belongs to me. I am heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. That means if I need something, God will provide it. That means when I'm having a difficult time, God is there to comfort me. Because I have that privilege, I've been adopted What an honor and a privilege it is to be in God's family, to know our Heavenly Father. And not only to know Him, but to have access to Him and all that He has promised as we live for Him. We are a privileged people. John chapter 1 and verse number 12, the Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them gave He the, what's the next word? Power. To become the sons of God. It is a, uh, uh, the, the Greek word there is dunamos or dynamite where we get our word from. He, uh, he has given us the power. He's given us the dynamite to become the sons of God. The only way we can become the sons of God is by him. Even to them that believe on his name. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a what? A son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are sons. We are are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ. What gives us our identity is not color or culture. It's chosenness. What a great thought. It's chosenness. It happened before I was ever born. I stand in awe of it. I tremble with joy at it. I bow and I accept it. I long to be faithful to its purpose. Why? Because I am chosen. I want you to think about that for a moment. I, I, don't, I don't know how it was for you growing up, but uh, you, go out to the, uh, you go out to the field and, at, at, at playground time and, and everybody's dividing up into teams. And then there's two captains and it's normally the coolest people in school. You know, it, it's the guys that, you know, that, that really know how to play the game. And so we're getting ready to play kickball. Now, when I was a little kid, uh, uh, I was probably about 140 pounds soaking wet. I mean, I was a little guy, and uh, then I got married to a good cook. So, I mean, I was a little guy, and so uh, uh, they would be choosing teams, and they'd choose, and they'd choose, and they'd choose. And many times, I was the last one to be chosen. I think they chose me because they felt sorry for me. But you know what? Jesus, he chose me. Think about that for a moment. He chose you. We are chosen. We are privileged because of who we are. Not only that, not only are we privileged, we are a priesthood. We are a priesthood. This is important as we begin to take this journey. Uh, As you look in verse number 9. But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Cheryl Yates was telling me that her daughter Chandler, who uh, lives around the San Augustine area, went yesterday to try to see the king and the queen of Spain uh, that were there in, in San Augustine. And she says she waited two hours and she never got to see them. And I thought, you know what, she'd probably be there another five or six hours before she'd ever see them. But I think about my relationship with Jesus Christ. The moment that I need him, he is there. 
He's there. Why? Because it's a royal priesthood. As family members, we can go directly to God through prayer. We do not have to be in church. We don't have to be in any other specific place to get a hold of God through prayer. That's the wonderful thing about God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you, which means he's there when you need him. He's right there. We can get a hold of him. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 16, you know the verse, let us therefore come. What's the next word? boldly don't be scared of him don't be scared of god you can respect him but don't be afraid of him come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain what's the next word mercy and find grace to help in time of need we have a royal priesthood god is always available he doesn't have office hours he will never go to voicemail you can ask him 24 hours a day seven days a week he not only wants to hear from us he delights in hearing from us he delights in it well first john chapter 5 says and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he Heareth us. Verse number 15. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we desired of him. What an amazing thought that God is there for us all the time. Thirdly of all, we are purified. We are purified. And I don't let this one scare you. Um, but the truth of the matter is that we are called to be pure. Uh, pure. The Bible says... But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. The next thought is a holy nation. A holy nation. Now let me explain this to you real fast because I believe this is a misinterpreted uh, passage of Scripture in many cases. This nation that it's talking about is not talking about a country. It is not talking about a geographic location. It is talking about Christians. We are a nation If you want to put it that way, we are a nation of people. We are Christians, and we are to be purified. We are to be holy. We are to live in such a way that represents who we say we identify with, which is Jesus Christ. Because we belong to God, we must represent his purity. We bear his name, therefore we should bear his likeness. Don't turn me off yet, okay? We, uh, we bear his name, therefore we should bear his likeness. My grandfather, who's in heaven now, I'll never forget the day that he sat me down. I was probably 14 or 15 years old sitting on the porch there. And uh, he had a flask water in his hand because he loved to kill yellow jackets. He would just dare them to land on him. And we're outside and he's killing yellow jackets and we're just talking. And one day he said to me as we were sitting out there, he said, son, let me tell you something. I said, yes, sir. He said, don't ever forget your last name. I said, well, I write it all the time, granddaddy. He goes, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, don't ever forget who your last name is or what you represent as a Wimberly. He said, our name has been through many generations and has had many trials and many afflictions and many tribulations. And God has brought us to where we are today. And he looked at me, I'll never forget, he looked me in the eyes and he said, don't ruin your last name. At the age of 13, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior... I got a new name. I was called a Christian. I was called a son of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
And God tells me, hey, listen, if you're going to call me by my name and you're going to call me when you need me and you're going to identify with me in your time of trouble, listen to me. You need to identify with me all the time and bear my likeness. The Bible says, be holy for I am holy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, The very God of peace sanctify you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. What's the next word? Oh, you, you're falling asleep on me. What's the next word? Blameless. Blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean, blameless, pastor? There's no way, you've told us, there's no way that we'll ever be able to reach perfection. He did not say be preserved and uh, perfect. He said blameless. What does that word blameless mean? That word means that we are striving every day of our lives to live a life that is holy with Jesus Christ. That means that we are uh, attempting to be blameless to this world so that the world will not have a reason to discount Christianity because of my testimony. We are to be blameless. How long are we to be blameless, pastor? The Bible says until the what? Until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We began our study on Wednesday night in the book of Revelation. And the first thing we learned is that uh, the coming of Jesus Christ, the, the rapture, and all those things have not taken place yet. Which means that it's time for me to remain blameless. Being blameless as a Christian does not mean sinless perfection. Because none of us can arrive at that. It carries the idea of being without handles. This is a great uh, thought process. There should be nothing in our lives that someone can latch onto and pull down Christianity. It means that we are to be without handles. Last night, and, and you know me, I don't... I don't bring uh, uh, sports into the pulpit, but I'm going to use this as an example. Last night, as uh, I was watching one of the games, one of the announcers that what was happening during the game is as a young man had to change jerseys because he was, he was playing multiple positions, and, and there were multiple numbers for the same position, and they were trying to put this jersey on him. And there was like two guys stuffing this jersey on him, trying to get it down, and he needed to get in the game, so it was like they alluded it to a NASCAR pit stop. You know, they were just trying to get this jersey on him as quick as they can. And as he was running out into the field, this is what the announcer said. The announcer said, the reason it's so difficult to get the jersey on is because of how tight it has to be so that nobody can grab a hold of the jersey and sling him down. He had to be without handles. That's the same way it is in our Christian life. We are supposed to be the perfect example of being a lineman and how that they wear their jersey extremely tight so that nobody can grab onto them and hold them back. The same way it is in our Christian life, we got to be very cautious that we do not allow anything in our lives to be able for people to latch onto and hold us back. Blameless. Letter D, we are peculiar. That's what the Bible says. Verse number nine. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, we are to be distinct on purpose. This does not mean that we should be odd or out of place. I do that well enough. We don't need to be odd or out of place, but rather people should see that we identify with Christ in our lives. People should know at your workplace that there's something different about you. Are you with me this morning? People should know that, that in your family that there's something different about you. 
You shouldn't fit in with all of the world. Now, certainly we are are a part of the world, and certainly we, we are living in this world, but we do not have to do the same thing as the world does because they should see that we are different. Listen to me. Different in a good way. Different in a positive way as we identify with Christ. Number two, and I'm going to be quick. What's our purpose? What's our purpose? As Christians, when we talk about identifying with Christ, what is our purpose? The reason we are supposed to identify with Christ is not for our praise, but his. The Christian life is never about us. It's always about Christ. We must plan daily to live for God on what? On purpose. Living for God on purpose. It is a daily choice that we wake up and we say, today, I'm going to live for God on purpose. By the way, if you don't, if you don't decide that you're going to live for God on purpose, you may fail. If you decide that today, I, I, you know, today I, I'm not feeling it. I don't, I don't think I'm going to strive so hard to live for God. Can I tell you, that's when the enemy will jump in and he will certainly get a hold of you. You have to live for God on purpose. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. What is our purpose? First of all, to magnify the divine. It's to magnify the divine. Look what it says in verse number nine. Uh, uh, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praise of him. That you should show forth the praise of him. To magnify Jesus Christ. The way that we live must always elevate Christ rather than ourselves. We are, not, we are here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and let him be known. It is, has nothing to do with letting our name be known. Listen, uh, uh, when you talk about North Point Baptist Church, I don't want people to talk about Pastor Lee. I don't want people to talk about Pastor uh, Parker. I don't want people to talk about the Sunday school teachers and, 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 the, and the children's workers. And when people say North Point Baptist Church, I want them to say the Holy Spirit of God is in that place. I want them to identify this place with Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says, if I, speaking of Jesus, be lifted up, I will draw all men unto him. Listen, this is not a popularity contest. There's only one person that should be popular with church, and that is Jesus. Listen, don't, don't, don't try to make it about you, because it's not about you. We are nothing more, as the Bible says, and as my mentor told me, and I've shared with you before, we are nothing but a bunch of dirt bags. The Bible says, from dust thou art to dust thou shalt return. That's all we are. And what, what happens in between the two dusts? God decides to use us. And we have to be used and want to be used by him. And if I be lifted up from the earth, we'll draw all men unto me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 20. I think this is a verse that we should all pin on our hearts and in our lives. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? God's. You are bought with a price. You know, we go out and we make expensive purchases like homes and cars and items that we have in our, that we enjoy. 
And then all of a sudden, the world figured it out that the things that we buy are important to us. So what did they do? They started opening up car washes, right? They started opening up, they started creating vacuums and household cleaning products. And they started figuring out, putting carpet in houses. And and they figured out how to redo floors and hardwood floors. And and roofers came along and, and, and did all these things because they knew the investment that was put into those items. And because it was such a great investment, we want to make sure that we take care of it. The Bible says, for ye are bought with a price. Listen, you cannot put a price tag on what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary. There is no way you can put a price tag on it. Therefore, because of that, we should take care of that which God saved. We should take care of it. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. Let it be, we're to make a difference. Look at verse number nine again. We're to make a difference. Show forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. To make a difference. The Bible says in Jude chapter 20, or excuse me, verse 22, and some have compassion making a difference. Making a difference. God did not save us to impress the world. He saved us to impact the world for him. (laughs) He saved, did not save us to impress the world. He saved us to impact the world for him. Can I tell you something? One light can make a difference in the dark. One light can make a difference in the dark. The dark. And I'm telling you right now, when it's real dark, we're all looking for a light. When they invented the flashlight on the cell phone, they did it. Because we all have them in our pockets all the time. And when the lights go out, the first thing that we do is we grab our cell phones. There's a story told uh, uh, about uh, a a Dallas Cowboy uh, uh, event that was happening in the Dallas Cowboy Stadium. And the lights went out and they said one person, they said it was completely dark, and one person turned on their cell phone. And they said by the, when that first person turned on their cell phone, it became like a rippling effect. Everybody turning on their cell phones. And this is what they said. They said the event that was taking place, which was a concert, was able to continue because of the light of one cell phone. Listen to me this morning. One light can make a difference. You say, Pastor, there's so much darkness in this world. There's so many people, even Christians, who are not turning on their light. Listen to me. Stop looking at everybody else. Look at yourself and turn on the light. One light can make a difference in the dark. When we let God have full control of our lives, he can use us to influence others for the cause of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here, to live for Christ in such a way that others will want to come to know him as well. There should be an excitement about our Christianity. There should be an excitement about our light. Number three, our past. Oh, pastor, don't go there. I know. Let me explain this to you in a way that I think all of us will agree with. Our greatest motivators of the present is to be mindful of our past. The greatest motivation that we have in the present is to be mindful of our past. Do not ever forget where Christ found you. To forget what God has done for us in the past is to forfeit his blessing in the future. Don't forget your past. 
Don't forget where God brought you from to where you are today. Letter A, first of all, once you were a stranger, now you are a saint. Once you were a stranger, and now you are a saint. Look at verse number 10 with me. Look. <laughs> For which in times past were not a people, look what it says, but are now the people of God. You were once a stranger. You didn't have a people. That's what the Bible says. Which in times past were not a people. We were nothing. But are now the people of God. I am possessed. I have a, 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 a possession with God. Because now I'm not a stranger. Now I'm a saint. A saint of Jesus Christ. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, we have been completely changed. We are no longer in bondage. We are now free. I want you to listen to me, church. When, you, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, when he died for you and me, and he was buried and he rose again on the third day, at that very moment, at that very moment, when you accepted what he did on the cross, you are no longer in bondage to sin. You are now free. Now listen to me. It's our choice whether we decide to release the bondage that has been up on our lives and be free. We have to decide that we are going to be free. We have to decide that God has the victory and that God can release the bondage that's in my life through his finished work on Calvary. When he said, it is finished, can I tell you what he meant? He meant, it is finished. It's done. I have the victory in Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You say, Pastor, but the old keeps creeping up. I get it. But you can still have the victory. You were once under judgment. Now you are justified. Look at verse number 10. <laughs> I love this. Verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy. We had no mercy in our lives. And then he says, oh, by the way, but now you have mercy. Now you have it. You once, you didn't have it. You didn't have that mercy that God uh, wants to bestow upon people. But because you were changed, because you gave your life to Christ, you are no longer under judgment. You are justified. I heard a, a man say at one time that, ju what is justification? It's just as if I never sinned. Jesus Christ looks at me and he, he doesn't see the sin. He sees the blood. And when he sees the blood, as he did in the Old Testament on the doorpost, he said, because of that blood, I will pass over you. And because of the blood on me, he says, hey, one day I'm coming to get you. And then he says, let not your heart be troubled, John chapter 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll think about coming again. No. He said, I will come again. It is a definitive verb, will. I will come again and receive you unto myself uh-oh, that where I am, there ye may be also. Listen, I'm no longer under judgment. I am under justification. And because of my justification, I can live a life of success based upon him. My past does not have to haunt me. 
What an amazing doctrine of truth today. That the Lord Jesus Christ justified us because of his mercy and grace. Look at me. He has erased my past and given me an amazing future. He's erased my past and given me an amazing future. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 11. And such were some of you, but now you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Number four, and I'm done, our passion. All right, pastor, you told us all about who we are and our identity. You told me about what God did for me. Now, what am I supposed to do? Let me tell you where we're at. We need to move and motivate ourselves to have a passion for Jesus Christ, to have a passion for the lost, to have a passion uh, uh, for the things that God has called us to do. In the face of adversity, temptation, and accusation, we must keep ourselves encouraged in the Lord. We cannot let the trials of adversity steal, steal our passion for God and for his work. We need to have a passion for Jesus Christ. I love this verse. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse number 6. David was discouraged. He was greatly distressed, the Bible says. And look what it says in the last part of the verse. But David encouraged who? Himself. In the Lord. Look what it says. He could have stopped right there with that prepositional phrase, in the Lord, but he didn't. He said, in the Lord, his God. He made it possessive. He said, now I want you to know that I'm encouraging myself in the Lord, my God. And can I tell you, when we get discouraged and things get bad and things get tough, we can encourage ourselves in our God. It's our passion. Letter A, our passion should be to have a clean light. Look at verse number 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We need to have a clean light. God is the light shining through us. Now, you have to excuse this next phrase. This is the redneck coming out into me, all right? We do not have to produce the light. We just need to keep the bulb clean. We don't have to produce the light. We just have to keep the bulb clean. God made us who we are to show the world who he is. Right? I mean, God is the light. Our job is just to keep our light clean for the glory of God. Not only that, a changed life. A life that is changed. There is tremendous excuse me, there is tremendous power in a changed life. Many times the testimony of the changed life goes further and accomplishes more than any dozens of sermons could ever do. Somebody came up to me a couple weeks ago here and said, Pastor, you know, you've been sharing with us about going out and telling people about Christ and he said, you know, I, I, I don't know a lot of scriptures, and I'm not versed on a lot of that stuff. And so uh, could, you, could you teach me how to go out and tell somebody about Christ? And I said, sure. I said, I can do it in about 32 seconds. And he said, 32 seconds? I said, yep. I said, let me ask you a question. They said, sure. I said, are you saved? They said, yes. I said, do you know how you got saved? They said, yes. Okay, go tell somebody. Go tell somebody. Go tell somebody what God did in your life because I'm telling you, a personal testimony that you can give to someone about how God changed you from the inside out and what he's done in your life since he changed you sometimes can be more powerful than any sermon that's ever preached. 
Because there's tremendous power in a changed life. The Bible says in John chapter 9, Then again called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Verse 25, He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. He said, I don't get how it all works. All I know is that man, Jesus, I was blind and now I see. And you can call him a sinner. You can call him whatever you want to. But he changed me. And can I tell you something today? It doesn't matter to me what the world says about my God, about my Jesus. And even though they're trying to ruin him, even though they're trying to take him out of the school, even though they're trying to take him away from everything that's happening good in this world, you can say whatever you want to about him, but he changed me. He changed who I was. And I want you to know something today. He can change you. And he will change you. Because once I was blind, but now I see. Christ has given us our identity in order that we might identify, or our identity might be proclaimed through us. God made us who we are so we can make known who he is. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. The meaning of our identity is that the excellency of God be seen in us. Can I give you one challenge and we'll pray? The challenge is, is what are you doing with the light of Christ in your life? Is it shining bright for Christ or has it been dimmed? Or the other question I have is, has it ever even been turned on? Have you ever come to a realization that you need a Savior? Because I'm telling you, if you will give your life to Him, and remain faithful today, he will change you forever. And not only will he change you, he will change all of those that are around you because your light is shining so bright. Listen, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen, I can't think of a greater thing as a Christian that we could do other than identifying with Christ and being a light in this dark world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you for listening so well this morning. You've been very kind.